Hey folks, welcome to episode 119 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray, and this week we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into a couple of different Snap-related topics. One of them was a report via Twitter, actually, that uh, someone had installed a Snap and they got their uh, Google account compromised as a result, or so they thought. So we're going to dive into that, plus we're going to have a look at a blog post that was published by uh, Igor from the uh, Snap Advocacy team, talking about some of the mechanics behind how Snap compliant works and how interfaces work and things like that, and how actually all of that is implemented behind the scenes which is pretty cool. But first, we're going to do our usual roundup of security updates from the past week. So there were 42 unique CVEs that were addressed by the team. And up first, we had a number of different kernel updates. So thanks, as always, to the kernel team for this. Uh, They do a lot of the work on these. Uh, I just get to read out the details. So uh, first up was an update for our 4.15 based kernel, which is used uh, as the standard kernel for the 18.04 long-term support release. This is now uh, the supported kernel for 16.04 ESM and 14.04 ESM. Uh, In this case, uh, there were 13 different CVEs that were fixed in this, and these included a a range of different issues. Uh, Things like uh, an integer overflow issue when handling uh, crafted X4 file system images. So, you know, if you are plugging in uh, random USB sticks that you find or things like that, uh, you know, you could have triggered this. Uh, But in that case, it was only limited to an out of bounds read as the uh, impact of that. So therefore a crash as a result. So not thankfully probably code execution, Uh, but yeah, you shouldn't be obviously plugging in untrusted stuff into your machines. Uh, what else? There was a reference counting error in the Firewire packet sniffer driver. Uh, again, this could lead to use after free. Uh, a bunch of different issues in uh, the NFC uh, logical link control protocol uh, implementation. This LLCP protocol allows you to multiplex basically a single connection uh, between two different NFC devices for a lot of different purposes. Uh, It's part of the NFC spec. Uh, Anyway, uh, there was an infinite loop that could be triggered uh, under some error conditions. Uh, There was a memory leak as well and a reference counting um, mishandling. So all of those could result in a crash and possible denial of service. Uh, There was an update as well for the 5.4 based kernel used in the 20.04 long-term support release. And this is the hardware enablement kernel if you are running uh, 18.04 long-term support now. Uh, This included a lot of the vulnerabilities I just mentioned. So let's move on a bit quickly. An update as well for the 5.8 based kernel in the 20.10 release. Uh, This is also the hardware enablement kernel at the moment for the 20.04 long-term support release, but that will be moving soon, I believe, uh, to the kernel used in our 21.04 release, which is a 5.11 based kernel. So again, that had uh, some of those same updates, uh, as well as an out-of-bounds write uh, within the KVM VMX implementation. So that could lead to a crash, but potential remote code execution. Uh, There was a fix as well for a possible side channel attack that could be mounted via extended BPF. So this is uh, a Spectre-like attack. Uh, Basically, the eBPF verifier failed to remove these sorts of uh, attacks you could have within your code. uh, So that could lead to a possible information leak where you can uh, use a Spectre gadget to uh, read a memory that you weren't allowed to. Uh, as well as the NFC fixes that I talked about before. Uh, The 5.10 OEM kernel was updated as well. Uh, Same sorts of issues there. Uh, And that's it for kernel updates. Uh, After that was an update for Firefox. So this is updating Firefox to the latest upstream release 89.0. And this is for all of our supported releases. So 18.04 long-term support, 20.04 long-term support, 2010 and 2104. 
Uh, so not only do you now get uh, the new visual UI that Firefox has launched in this release, uh, there's also uh, an update for their private browsing mode, introducing total cookie protection. So this basically confines cookies to uh, the site where they were created so that they don't then get sent to other sites to allow you to be tracked across sites. Plus includes a bunch of security fixes for the usual sort of web type issues that we see. Uh, one of them was uh, you know, where the uh, file name of something that you print uh, to a PDF, say, got cached. So then, uh, and that's in the private browsing mode. So then if you then go to print a PDF in uh, not private browsing mode, that same file name would be reused. So that would get leaked across there. Uh, plus a bunch of memory safety issues as well. Uh, so the kind of things that lead to remote code execution or being able to crash your browser from a malicious website. After that was an update for policy kit. Uh, one CVE here uh, for our newer releases. And so our policy kit is used to essentially implement kind of uh, you know, authorization for certain actions that get performed on behalf of another application. So say you've got uh, something like, say, GNOME software, and you want to install firmware updates from that. GNOME software itself isn't directly installing those firmware updates. It will call out to FWAPD, uh, the firmware update daemon, to do that on its behalf. So FWAPD will then say call out to policy kit to ask, is this application allowed to do this? And so what it's really asking there is, is the user allowed to do it? That's often when you'll get, say, uh, you know, another dialog popping up asking you to authorize or maybe input your uh, password or something like that to authenticate yourself. And to do that, uh, you know, uh, FWAPD calls out to uh, policy kit, sending it the dbus name of the application uh, in question. So say, you know, GNOME software in this case as it's running. And when policy kit goes to look up, say, the process ID and the user ID of that application, if the application were to disconnect from dbus right at that same time, policy kit would return an error, which, you know, is the expected thing, but it would also rec return true to the application that was requesting it. So that application could then be confused into thinking that it was granted that access when actually it wasn't. Uh, so it was fixed in this case to obviously return false in that case to make sure there was no confusion, uh, even though, again, an error had been returned. But if the application wasn't checking for that, it could then uh, be tricked. So that was fixed for policy kit. An update as well for Squid, uh, all the way back to 1804 long-term support and the releases since. Uh, seven CVEs were fixed in this. All of these were denial of service type issues. So things like memory leaks or out-of-bounds reads, uh, that kind of stuff that could be triggered by remote attackers. We had a couple of different regressions as well that we released updates for. So uh, back in last week's episode, I talked about an update for uh, DHCP. Uh, in the latest release, 2104 only, uh, this update introduced a regression where valid configuration files would be seen as invalid and they'd get rejected. And so then uh, the DHCP daemon would fail to start. Uh, interestingly, we didn't see this on the other releases, and it was actually because there is a newer uh, GCC version being used in 2104. Uh, it has stricter alias checking rules, and so it would treat certain uh, you know, code patterns within uh, that DHCP update as undefined behavior and optimize various things around that as a result. And then, yeah, it would end up thinking that these configuration files that were valid were now invalid. And so this was fixed by disabling that uh, strict alias checking in the build to restore the original behavior. Uh, so yeah, an interesting one there. Thanks, Mark, for digging into that and fixing that. Uh, as well, there was an update for GNOME Auto AR. Uh, this was a regression caused by the upstream fix that I talked about back in episode 115, where for particular archives, if they contained a file with the same name as the archive, when you went to extract that with Nautilus, so go and extract here with a right click, uh, it would only extract the file, uh, the directory itself without any files. Uh, and so that was fixed to change that behavior to make sure all the files got extracted as well. 
After that was an update to Intel Microcode. Uh, this goes all the way back to 1404 Extended Security Maintenance and includes fixes of five different vulnerabilities. Uh, this is the latest upstream release from Intel. Uh, this has been in the works for quite a while. We've put a lot of effort into making sure this is tested because our previous releases of Intel Microcode uh, that Intel have done haven't been so stable. In particular, there were some cases where if you would try to load Microcode, uh, it would hang the well, your boot would hang because it was trying to load a version that was too new compared to the one that was in the BIOS. Uh, so those sorts of issues have seemingly been fixed with this update. Plus, as I say, these security issues as well. So there was a potential cross-domain issue with uh, the Intel virtualized uh, directed IO that could lead to privilege escalation. Uh, there was also a fix which would result or, or an issue that would result in some of the spectre mitigations not being applied correctly. Uh, there were some cache lines that were not being flushed, flushed properly that could allow like an unprivileged process to you know, read data from another one. Uh, plus a speculative execution issue that was specific to atom processes as well that could you allow uh, you know, values to be read through microarchitectural buffers and doing speculative execution on those. So yeah, they've been fixed for uh, Intel Microcode plus uh, RPC bind. Uh, there was a denial of service issue in this which, where it would fail to free memory that got allocated during particular requests. So basically you could make a bunch of different requests to RPC bind from a remote machine and get it to crash as a result of allocating too much memory. And that's it for this week in security updates. So moving on, I wanted to have a bit of a mention of something that got reported to us via Twitter. Uh, this user reported that they had installed a snap and as a result, their uh, Google account got hacked. So, uh, you know, they have provided very little detail. There's a screenshot of like a of the snap being installed via the Snap Store software. And this was the O-Drive snap. So this is a uh, open source implementation of a Google Drive connector to allow you to access your Google Drive uh, from Linux. And uh, there is a more official version of that snap, but this was the O-Drive unofficial one uh, was what we gleaned from this report, even though uh, the reporter didn't initially provide the full details on it. And so uh, very quickly, uh, the decision was made to kind of pull this snap down uh, because it, you know, we obviously didn't want to make sure that no one else was potentially getting hacked, even though at this stage, there was no clear evidence that this was the culprit. Uh, you know, we obviously want to put uh, user safety first. So the snap was pulled down and instead uh, a new version was uploaded that uh, was essentially a no-op that meant that, you know, anyone running that now would uh, get automatically updated to a version that, uh, you know, didn't, didn't do anything. So it would stop them being hacked. And then we went on to investigate the snap. So a number of different things were done here, like running the snap in a VM and capturing all of its traffic, trying to connect it to a test Google account and see what it would do, uh, looking at the source code contained within the snap. So extracting all of that, again, this is an Electron app here, so we can extract that and look at all the different code that's there, trying to compare that to the upstream repo and trying to figure out basically, was it doing anything malicious? Did it contain any malicious code or anything like that? And as a result, uh, we found actually it didn't contain anything malicious. There was nothing here obvious that the snap was doing that was malicious, and there was no code that contained within it that was actually different from the upstream project. And so uh, the conclusion here was that it was unlikely that the snap itself uh, was the cause of this ex uh, Google account getting hacked. Uh, in particular, this snap actually has 8,500 users. Uh, those That's been pretty stable, and so, uh, you know, People haven't been reporting that they've been getting hacked. So again, another piece of evidence there showing that it's most likely not this snap. Uh, and the final thing was that actually that the snap is a couple years old. It's not been updated for a few years and it uses a previous authentication mechanism to your Google account that is not valid anymore. Basically, Google introduced a bunch of checks now to make sure that if you are using a web framework like Electron, 
They make your application go through a number of different hoops to make sure that it is properly trusted before connecting that to a Google account. And this snap hasn't been updated to make use of those new features. So it actually can't connect to a Google account as a result. Uh, so it is possible that the snap could, uh, without connecting to your Google account, potentially say, uh, you know, capture your uh, your email address and your password to log in. But, uh, you know, if you've got two-factor authentication turned on or something like that, uh, you know, you're going to be safe from that. But as well, we didn't find any evidence that it was doing that. You know, there was nothing in the network traffic that it was generating that would seem to indicate it was siphoning anything off anywhere or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, it's a bit of an interesting case because, you know, we obviously want to keep users safe, but we also, uh, you know, don't want to pull down snaps uh, inadvertently that uh, are being used. The the one thing that was, I guess, uh, lucky in this case was that that snap actually is non-functional at the moment because it hasn't been updated to use these new APIs from Google. So, yeah, I just wanted to release a bit of an update on that because it was something that was reported publicly uh, and, you know, we, we don't want to do this stuff behind closed doors. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to talk to about related to Snaps is a blog post that was published by Igor from the Snap Advocacy team. And he goes into some of the details about uh, sort of the behind the scenes magic or as he calls it, the magic behind Snap interfaces. And so uh, Snaps, as you're probably aware of listening to this, are self-contained uh, applications that run uh, under confinement. The, the confinement makes use of a number of different technologies, including AppArmor, uh, various namespaces, and uh, SecComp policy as well. And in particular, the Snap interfaces part uh, makes heavy use of AppArmor and SecComp. And basically, when you define an interface uh, within SnapD, we define policy for that that is both a mix of AppArmor policy uh, and SecComp policy and potentially uh, things like uh, UDEV rules and things like that to make sure that you know, the Snap has access to, say, the particular devices or resources that define that interface. And when you then go and connect an interface or disconnect an interface, interface from a snap uh, what happens is app armor policy gets regenerated on the fly second policy gets regenerated on the fly to make sure that you know that connection happens in a dynamic way and Igor goes into some of the details about how that works within SnapD and actually how you can go and introspect that policy on your system yourself. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty cool if you've ever wondered about some of the more finer details of how uh, snaps and the confinement works, that's a really good read. All right, so that's it for this week's episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact with the team, you can reach us at securityubuntu.com. We do hang out in the Ubuntu security channel on libero.chat. And we are on Twitter at Ubuntu underscore sec. So if you want to report anything to us there or otherwise, feel free to do so. Okay, so thanks everyone for listening again for another week. I will be back again with you all next week. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.